You're listening to the Outpost Podcast with Dr. Ray Mitch. Well, I certainly hope that you all are staying warm. Uh, We finally got back into the balmy uh, 20s here in Colorado uh, and uh, just finished up with 10 below yesterday or something like that. Somebody said something about it being close to, uh, well, us being uh, colder than the Arctic, uh, which absolutely felt that way. But um, anyway, thanks for so much for joining me. I'm Dr. Ray Mitch, your host. Uh, you are listening to the Outpost Podcast, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith, psychology, and spiritual formation. Uh, and we we want to build a place, at least on a podcast, if, if, to the degree that we can, uh, where the doubters and the wounded and the confused and the broken and the beat up and beat down and, and the people that feel like their lives are a disappointment to God can feel accepted and to know others and know uh, themselves and and uh, be able to be known as well. And so uh, there are plenty of things that we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. Uh, Specifically today, today is a red letter day. Uh, It is release day for uh, my new book called The Seasons of Our Grief. It can be found on Amazon uh, and it can be found on Barnes & Noble as well. Uh, You got to be sure to look it up. Uh, take a look at some of the aspects of it. Um, you can also go to our website at sgi-net.org and and uh, go to the store and you will see uh, just a brief uh, kind of blurb about about what's in the book and and the nature of it. Uh, we're, I'm I'm trying to uh, undertake a, a redo, if you will, of how we see grief rather than seeing it as stages. And and I'll talk about that in a, in just a, a few minutes here. Um, but be that as it may, that's what that's what you're listening to. Uh, this is going to be a four part series as we get uh, kind of into the new year. Uh, and talk about grief and loss. And uh, the start of a year, is a, sometimes I think some people would say it's kind of a weird time or a weird thing to be talking about. Um, we might talk about, uh, you know, resolutions, which I talked about a couple of episodes ago, uh, besides the fact that I, I don't have a whole lot of use for them, uh, other than setting us up just to fail and then fall back into a hole of shame. But um, why not really? I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to be flippant about it, but the reality is, is that we feel most keenly when we enter a new year who we're leaving behind. And, um, and that may be dreams that we're leaving behind. It's not just people, but it addresses, uh, what I want to talk about is, is both of those things. And so I'm going to do a four-part series. This is part two of that. If you want to go back and listen to part one, it is in uh, uh, episode 18. And like I said, that will be coming out shortly. Uh, You can see it on YouTube. You can see it or listen to it on uh, the the podcast, the Outpost podcast. Um, uh, And you can see it on the website at sgi-net.org. So 
Um, All of those are available for you to take a look at. It doesn't necessarily hit Instagram right away. Um, And usually the way we go about making you aware of it is through a reel. I have a crack team who's helping me with social media because I spend as little time on social media as I possibly can. Um, and so, uh, part of that is going to be, uh, there, but it probably will lag behind other than what you will hear. If you subscribe to us on, on, in the, in wherever you listen to podcasts, let's put it that way. So whether that's Amazon music or whether that's, um, the, uh, iTunes or whether that's, um, Google play or wherever that is. Wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, um, you you can subscribe and be able to hear uh, the next upcoming episode. Like I said, they have been interspersed with interviews that I did for for people that have been involved in the silent retreat. And right now, <coughs> we we are uh, really very much focusing on trying to build. Uh, the the uh, fund, the scholarship fund to send people on these retreats because not everybody can afford these things, uh, particularly students can't. And so we, uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end. So where I left off, uh, we looked at a lot of the reasons why we spend time talking about grief. Uh, some of it is we don't really accept death as a reality. Um, and you can say, well, of course we do. You know, I, it, it's real. I, I have had people die in my life, so it's very real. Yes, but um, we can accept it as a reality, but we cannot accept the meaning of it for us. And there's a difference in those things. Um, and that's kind of what I want to address. Um, we also have really never been taught how to grieve either as, as part of that. Um, and generally, for a lot of people that experience grief in terms of, of death, they, grief usually has no predecessor. Now, we may distantly have some understanding of the grief that people feel, but most of the time we don't. I mean, I, I, I think we, we know we might have friends who we went to a funeral um, and we've seen the heartache that they feel or maybe how automaton-like they have been because they've just gone into automatic mode and they're not really feeling a whole lot. The interesting thing about that is that oftentimes that doesn't, the feelings don't really start showing up until much later. And by that time, most people have faded away. So grief doesn't have a predecessor. We don't know the landscape that we're walking on. We don't have clues about how to do it, quote unquote, right. Now, that's a problem (coughs) because there is, there is a healthy way, but there's not a right way. There's a way that I will do it differently than somebody else will. But trying to look for the right way is is n- not wise. Uh, I, I was going to say it's not a healthy thing to do, but there it's going to come into our lives. Now, we, we experience lesser losses, right? Uh, loss of a dream or... Um, you know, a, a disappointment in life, which is a mini loss, if you want to think about it. So we haven't been taught how to grieve. We have we, Grief usually doesn't have any predecessor. We've never gone through it before. So we really don't know what the landscape is like. 
And generally, we see death as, as an enemy, as something to be avoided. And the one way that our culture certainly seems to avoid it is to cover it over and sanitize it and make it look like it's life. I mean, think about it. If you ever go uh, to a funeral home or a wake, whatever you, you call it, and um, they have an open casket, what do they do? They don't. They they don't. You know, kind of dump the person in a casket and say, "There they are." Um, they're made up. They're made up to look how, to look alive, and and in a lot of cases, for people that look at at that, they say, in a lot of cases, they end up looking better than they did the last time they saw them when they were really really sick. So we're we're papering over the realities of death and and a lot of that is because we see it as a an enemy something that interferes with living life and interferes with our happiness and interferes with you know the comfortable lives we lead um and so where i ended last time was that we looked at a few misconceptions uh, i talked about elizabeth kubler ross making mention of the fact that that it's the denial of death that is partially responsible for us living purposeless, empty lives. Because we think that we'll live forever, so why it, it becomes way too easy to postpone uh, the things that we, we really need to do. So some of the misconceptions we talked about briefly was, you know, the mistaken value of restraint, the fears that if I let it be or let my grief exist, I'll be bowled over. Um, we have a, a terrible misunderstanding of tears. We see tears as an indication of our weakness rather than a, a, an indication of our humanity. And there, and the last one I'll just mention in brief is just us, that we expect some self-neglect. In, in other words, I just kind of give up on taking care of myself. And a lot of those things are not only because we may not have the energy to do it, but they, they also are kind of an indication. Now, the thing I'll, I'll just let you know about before I continue on here is that in our culture, what's interesting to me is that um, if somebody dies of significance in a, a sports organization, okay, um, and, you know, we're in the throes of the playoffs in the NFL. And, and, and if you look at some of the players' helmets closely, um, they might have initials on them. So, for example, the, 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 the Detroit Lions, if you're watching any of their games, they will have a few initials on it. And I think, I think it's WSF uh, because that's Ford. Uh, it's not Henry Ford, but it's one of his ancestors that was the namesake for Ford Field in Detroit. I think I got that right. All you Detroit fans, don't write me. I, I It's the closest I can get with the memory part of it. But the point is this, is we make mention of the fact that and, and, and point out that there has been a loss. Now, in times gone by, when people experienced loss, they would often walk around, oftentimes the very first year, with a black armband on or wear black clothes. And those were to indicate to people, look, take it easy. Just be gentle because this person has experienced some measure of loss. And, and so 
we did that. We don't do that anymore. As a matter of fact, we, we make a lot of efforts to make sure that we don't make anybody else sad, which is unfortunate because suddenly other people's emotions are more important than our own, one. And two, I'm responsible for those emotions that the other person has. So in light of all that, um, I, the, the thing that I want to keep, keep in, in kind of the forefront of your mind as we're talking about this is that how we handle grief and loss oftentimes reveals things about us. Not only does it clarify our vision about the important things in life, but it reveals things about us, like our philosophy about is life supposed to be have sadness in it? Or am I just supposed to live a perpetually happy life? And if I don't, then something's wrong and I need to do something to distract myself from it. Um, but the thing I will mention to you, and, and then I'll, I'll get more into this, is that C.S. Lewis... And, and he is lauded as one of the great theological minds and the apologists of, of the faith in the 20th century. And he wrote a, a many books. We're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia or Mere Christianity or The Problem of Pain or any number of things. But the one that a lot of people sometimes have read, sometimes haven't, and it's called The Grief Observed. And he had a very intense, but relatively short in terms of years, relationship with a young lady by the name of Joy Grisham. Um, and she had bone cancer and eventually died. And he kept a journal after that. And that journal was turned into the book we now know as A Grief Observed. And I, I have had so many people because I assign it. So, you know, my students have to read it in theory. There's plenty, plenty that don't, I think, but, <clears throat> but we had, you have the opportunity to see the landscape of grief and how a theologian of remarkable stature wrestled with God. Now, let me, let me just quickly read a quote because this is a stunning quote. Remember, this is C.S. Lewis. This is the apologist of the uh, Christian faith. This is the guy that wrote about the problem of pain. And this is what he says. And it's one of the early chapters. So it's not long after uh, Joy ha has died. And he says, meanwhile, where is God? Now, there are questions in here and things that he say, says that people in grief also say that oftentimes we feel compelled to argue with. Now, let me give you a piece of advice. Don't. <laughs> it's just real simple. Don't. Because the things that oftentimes we say in the throes of our grief are statements of feelings. They are not statements of facts in order to fight over. So let me finish. Meanwhile, where's God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms when you are happy, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an introduction, interruption, you will remember, you will remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, and you will be, or so it seems, or feels, welcomed with open arms. But 
Go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence becomes. It's it's a remarkable quote. And that was where he was at shortly after Joy died. Um, and that's what the, the, the grief observed is all about. You will see, if you read it, you will see a transformation and really a recentering in a lot of cases, at least in C.S. Lewis's case, you will see a recentering that he has on that. So, um, <clears throat> so what I want to introduce you to is a, a different concept. Now, um, the publicists of my book call it a groundbreaking book. I don't know how ground, groundbreaking it is. But what I'm proposing is a um, developmental understanding of grief in the context of something that we all understand. Now, I started the podcast tonight with one of the first things that we experience, and that is winter. Because the thing that occurs to me after talking to people and going through my own process of grief is that our grief is never that clean as stage one denial, stage two, uh, you know, bargaining, uh, stage three, whatever it is in, in, in uh, Kubler-Ross's stages. And the th- worst thing about that, not to, not, uh, I mean, I, let me, let me make it clear. I am standing on the shoulders of giants, of people that have done a lot of work. I'm trying to bring together the, all of that work into our normal everyday lives in a way that we can understand it clearly. And seasons are things that we, most of us, experience once every year. We have winter, we have spring, we have summer, we have fall. Every year, it is the same. Now, the one thing about seasons are they are not clearly demarcated. In other words, you know, we hit December 20th. That's the, the uh, you know, the, uh, what is that? The, um, uh, oh, one of the equinoxes. Um uh, the autumnal equinox is, is in fall. I think that's it. Um, and vernal equinox is spring, right? And so when we hit, it, it, by the calendar, we hit December 20th, and that is the point at which um, that we have the exact same number of hours of daylight as we do night light, nighttime. Night light? Yeah, night, nighttime. It's not like it starts snowing on December 21st. In a lot of in a lot of cases at least here in Colorado, we can have a day and in December we had a couple of those days that were in the 50s and 60s. It felt like early spring. And now we get this, okay? January hits, deep freeze comes in. Uh, we're 10 below, and by tomorrow or the next day, we're going to be back in the 60s. So we have this intermixing of what you might call the seasons. And the thing about grief is that that happens for us too in our grief. 
is that even in the midst of winter, when everything feels completely dead, there's there's some warmth that shows up now and again, or happiness, or laughter, or things like that, that, that are still, it's still winter. I still feel pretty numb. But seasonally, it, what thinking of grief and seasons means I have a little bit of an idea of what comes next. And, and certain things are necessary then. So over the weekend, we got a fair amount of snow. I have a mini snowblower. It is not significant at all. I used to live up in the UP of Michigan. I had a snowblower there. It was a 20, you know, 20 horse motor and I could throw it 300 feet. This thing, I, I could probably spit farther than this one. And so, but I cleared my driveway. I don't use my snowblower to pick up the leaves after all the trees drop their leaves or during fall. And so what I'm proposing is let's think of grief in terms of the seasons of our lives. And the very first one, obviously, is winter, because that's when things uh, feel the deadest. And we feel the deadest, too, in a lot of ways. And so during winter, there are a variety of things that we experience. Probably the first thing that we have to contend with is the task, because there are different tasks, right? There are different things we have to do during winter than than we do in spring, and different than we do in summer and all that. And so one of the first things is we have to learn to accept reality. Now, the minute I say that, oftentimes people will equate the idea that acceptance means it's okay that it happened. And that is not the case. Acceptance does not equal it's okay. But accepting reality is learning to live with it, not against it, or rejecting it. And usually one of the biggest characteristics that we find, certainly within winter, is denial. That's the one that everybody starts with, right? But there are three different things that I think we have to remember about denial. It's not just, well, that just didn't happen. That's way too simple. Because we have a reality, I can see that name on the tombstone, I can see the person in, in, you know, I can see the casket, I can see all of those things, that's reality. But just because I name it as reality doesn't t- say anything about what it means to me. And so there are three different ways of denial or ways of denying reality. The very first one is we deny the facts of the loss. In other words, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I can't absorb the realities of what's going on, the facts of it. Um, we had a, a family friend who had uh, the, the mom pass, pass away or die. And there were details of her death that were horrific. They were really, really hard to to go through and experience. And trying to fit those into our head, oftentimes we go numb. And denial is oftentimes not 
bad. Denial is God's gift that allows us to absorb the facts of the loss that we've experienced in due time. Now think about this for a second. You might have uh, been cooking tonight and you accidentally hit the grill of your stove and burned the side of your little finger, all right? At that moment in time, you may not have even registered that that happened, but then something happens, right? It wakes up and it starts throbbing and you start moaning and complaining and finding something to put on it so that it doesn't feel quite so bad. And burns are an interesting parallel to grief. Some have gone so far as to say that grief is like a psychological burn wound because it is one of the more painful experiences that we go through. And even small burns will do that. Imagine big, huge uh, swaths of our body being burned. And those, thankfully, today we've developed artificial skin and the ability to kind of cover the person that, that has been uh, badly burned in Days gone by, they didn't have that stuff. And oftentimes what they would have to do in order to help the person heal would be that they they would give them this massive shot of Demerol. They would put them in a whirlpool and scrub the wound so that no bacteria would, would grow underneath the scabs that formed during the night. It was awful. It was terrible. And so... We can often deny the facts of the loss because we cannot absorb them all. One way that we do this is mummifying things, maybe the person's belongings, or just saying it's no big deal, it's fine, I'll, I'll get over it. It, 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 it. <laughs> there is something people say that really sets my teeth on edge. I don't say anything, and now I'm letting it out that I, that I do this. But whenever I say, I hear people say, well, it is what it is. Well, thank you, Captain Obvious. Who cares? I, really? I mean, thanks for telling me something I already know. It is what it is is a statement of resignation. And in a lot of cases, in d- denial gives us emotional room to breathe. And denial is not always bad. It is not always bad, and we should never see it as necessarily something that we need to somehow shake somebody out of or whatever. So mummification can often happen, and that's keeping clothes in a closet, or it's um, leaving a room as if it is uh, waiting for the person to come back to. Interesting little story. Queen Victoria um, had, uh, you know, a consort, which is basically the spouse that is not royal, and, and he died, and she was so overwrought with grief that his chambers were left completely as if he was just coming back to them. And she went so far as to have the butler every morning lay out his shaving kit and every evening gather it up again. That's mummification. We want things to stay the same. And and grief has a way of reminding us how little control we have. And we don't like being reminded of that. And so we, we mummify things. So the very first one is denying the facts of the loss. 
that takes time. If you've ever been around people that are grieving, they often get a lot of things done in the in the initial stages of their grief. They have to, you know, the the belongings, you know, dispersed and uh, estates being dealt with and all of those details. And it seems like they're doing really pretty well. Well, that's the denial, the denial of the facts of the loss. It really hasn't sunk in and it takes time. And, and sometimes that time is, is gracious to allow us to do that. So the denial of the facts of the loss. And then the second thing is they deny the meaning of it, which means in a lot of ways, they might forget aspects of the person's abusive behavior or how they talked or how insensitive they could be or, (coughs) excuse me, um, other things, other things that are memorializing of the person. So the meaning to it, or they do the flip of it and say, well, he wasn't that good of a dad anyway, so whatever, good riddance, okay? And that's denying the meaning of the loss. And that's another way to deny. So denial is not just the facts part of it. It can also mean the meaning of it. And whether we like it or not, people that have had positive impacts on us can can last for a, a long time. But people have had a negative impact on us can have a impact on us a long time. They leave an emotional wound or a scar. And us denying the meaning of it is our best attempt to minimize that scar or that wound. And it lasts only so long because it wakes up and it does that frequently. So we can forget aspects of it. And then the last thing uh, really is the denial that, that death is irreversible. And, and, and there are a variety of aspects. You can see people that sometimes you, they'll, they'll, you'll drive by on the car and they'll, they'll have a decal on their back window about an angel. And clearly it's somebody that has died in their family. And, and so the, at least in the Christian faith, um, death is, is irreversible, but the person lives on in the, through their soul or their spirit. And, Sometimes that's good and bad. I think sometimes <clears throat> we can we can pull out a Christian platitude like, well, at least they're out of pain, or at least they're in a better place, or at least they're in the, the arms of Jesus. And while all of that may be true, I would say in that moment, they are irrelevant. They're irrelevant because they do not speak to the need of the person that you're saying it. The one thing I would warn you about, Brene Brown has a brilliant little video about the difference between sympathy and empathy. And sympathy, the statement always starts with, at least. It's a profound thing that she picks up. Because empathy is entering in, and sympathy is saying making comparisons. And that's, that's essentially oftentimes what happens. So... It, it, denying that death is irreversible, um, a lot of times mummification is part of that. There are a lot of other things that really are part of it, um, and and we can we can. I, I already mentioned about the facts and the the acceptance part of it, as far as the meaning of it and irreversible. The the thing to keep in mind, just like I mentioned a, a few minutes ago, 
is that with each season there are different um, there are different tools to be used, and there are a, a few things I'll mention just as potential tools. One of the first ones, which people probably a lot of my students are probably going to roll their eyes when they hear me say this, or they can probably anticipate what I'll say, and that is journaling. And journaling, by its name, all right, where we get the word journal is from diurnal, and diurnal is 24-hour day, and so daily. And journaling is been has fallen out of favor in a lot of ways. I think in some ways journaling allows us to look at our day and survey the kinds of things that have occurred during it. And it's not only a record, which we may not want to have, I, that can be said, but it, it allows us to review and look at it. And sometimes people have turned their journals into serial letters to the person who has died or any number of things. But journaling is one way, remember what I said about the burn wounds in the past that they would scrub. It's one way to scrub the wound so that it heals. And that's a necessary part of that. Now, it's not an only thing of that. You don't only have to do that. But I think the other things that we can do is to invite tears, which is like, well, why would I do that? I mean, I, it feels like I've met the quota on during the, the weeks the week after weeks after the person died and during the wake and all of that, and there's enough, right? Not really. I mean, the funny thing about a wound when it's when um, it's burned, in medical terms, oftentimes they'll say that the wound is weeping because the lymphatic system sends all of its resources to try to heal and care for that wound. And the funny thing about it is our body doesn't think of a thing about it or feel guilty about weeping, but yet we do. Our heart needs to weep, and we need to find a way to invite it to do that. So it might be visiting the grave and going back and seeing if a person has died, or looking at old pictures, or listening to old to music that you shared, or any of those play, things like that. Those are all tools that we can use during this journey through the seasons of our grief. And um, as self-caring activities, you know, of taking a bath, or taking a walk with a friend, or uh, connecting with somebody to talk a little bit about how it's going and and those kinds of things. There are a number of resources that have grief support groups out there. Churches oftentimes have them. Uh, there's a organized program called Grief Share that that allows you to hear from people talking about grief. Uh, it's all of those things. One of the visions, certainly, of, of SGI has been to have a grief-related or grief-focused outpost group that allows people to connect and to talk about the grief that they're experiencing in light of some of the things that, that my resources that I have available. One of the books I've, I wrote, I wrote many years ago, three decades, as a matter of fact, uh, ago, uh, called Grieving the Loss of Someone You Love. It's not an instructional manual. It is a description of the the process. And then, of course, the newest one here is Seasons of Grief. So 
that's that's the winter part, okay? The landscape of the task of accepting reality as it is, not as I would have it. To accept a reality doesn't mean it's saying it's okay. It's accepting the reality so that I can begin the journey of healing. And there's there's always, even in, in the um, process of grieving a, a loss of someone who's died, there are losses all along the way because slowly but surely we begin to deal with the realities of their absence. And and you can say, well, I see that every day. Yeah, a reality. But what does it mean? What roles did they play? What kinds of things do I miss about that? And I think journaling is that way to make some of those connections so that we can see how this you know, how the healing process, what it looks like, and how I can do it in in an active sort of way. There's lots of ways, if you look in Scripture, there are examples of people that would um, engage in the kind of denial we're talking about. Like King Saul, when he lost his good friend, the, the high priest, Samuel, and he was going into battle and he was afraid. And what does he do? He goes to a witch and engages in mysticism and, and magic to pull him up from the dead. And Samuel was none too happy with him about that. But that was the same thing: is that death is not final. It's not. It's irreverse. It's reversible. I can pull this person up and do it that way. And so, scripture doesn't hide that from us at all. People are are uh, have responses to grief throughout, including, I might add, Jesus. And I want to talk about that next time when we get into the whole springtime of our grief because Jesus had an encounter with two friends, three friends actually, of grief. And I, I want to show you the kind of person Jesus was because in spite of the fact that he was, he, he was God incarnate, he was embodied, he still experienced grief. And it was, I think it's worth our while to at least take a look at that. I'm not, again, I'm not using that to beat it over anybody over the head with it. But there are no, in the pantheon of all the things that you can worship, there is no God that will become somebody like us and, and experience the loss that we're experiencing in these times that we're talking about. So that is, uh, that's winter, and that's all I'm going to plan on covering to tonight. Um, to, to wrap it up, just as usual, uh, today's a big day. Uh, today is book release day at Amazon. You can get access to the book in, in a variety of locations, whether it's Barnes & Noble or Amazon or at the website, sgi-net.org. That's the digital home for where we uh, are launching all sorts of things, and certainly in the months to come, my hope. If you have questions about any of this stuff that, I, that I'm, I'm talking about, just DM me on Instagram, and I'll, I'll, I'll respond. Or I might actually bring it up in, in one of the following podcasts um, just to, to, to re, um, comment on in some way. 
the only way for people to find our podcast is for people to subscribe. And that that raises our profile and it introduces more people to it. So please do that. Uh, we are on three different social media outlets. Uh, Instagram, SGI underscore international. At Facebook, Ray.Mitch, M-I-T-S-C-H, by the way. And LinkedIn, Dr. Mitch. So those three major ones. Um, you can find the podcast in any of the places that you listen to it, uh, Spotify or iTunes or Amazon Music or iHeartRadio. Um, and uh, the, the, like I said, the book is already um, uh, being promoted. Uh, if you know of anybody or if you want to help us in terms of supporting uh, the mission and vision of SGI. Um, please donate on the on the website. All of the uh, all of your donations would be tax deductible, um, and you can do that at sgi-net.org. Uh, if somebody wants to write a physical check, they can do that as well. Send that to PO Box three two two East Lake Colorado eight zero six one four. Uh, just make it out to SGI, and and uh, we will gratefully accept your your offer. We uh, need to be in active uh, fundraising mode because we've got two retreats coming up that SGI is sponsoring, and we need to be able to support and, uh, uh, college students to be able to experience something like that. So if you know anybody or if you're so led to help us with uh, supporting that, please feel free to do that. The other little item that is also being released is a, is a sticker, a window sticker. Um, and uh, you can put that anywhere you want. Uh, it is a SGI Outpost podcast one. Um, it is emblazoned with the motto, uh, S.A. Uh, Quam Videri, which means to be rather than seem. And you can order one of those for five bucks. Uh, very simple. But it's a uh, easy way to support um, our fundraising efforts to um, pay for and um, offset the price of these uh, retreats that are coming up for people that need the help to do that. So feel free to hit us up there at sgi-net.org. Um, and I think that is it. With the the next two episodes uh, are going to be spring and um, and then summer and then fall. And those are coming up. I will talk about um, turn, uh, tools for those and then the characteristics of those and what people experience during that time. And that's going to be part part of the conversation uh, there as well. And those will probably drop on Monday mornings, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise and my schedule doesn't get all too crazy. Uh, we'll make sure to get them out as quickly as possible. Also, stay tuned for um, other interviews. Uh, if you want to know more about the silent retreats and what we do and how it is impacting young people's lives, listen into the interviews. Those are very telling and I think uh, interesting as well. So that's it for tonight. Thanks so much for joining me. Um, and as always, love you. Later. Bye.